0: Acts 27, 1 to 44.
1: When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship for um, Amdramathiam, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so that they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea, off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia. We landed at Myra in Lycia. And there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Snidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete, opposite Salmone. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens, near the town of Lassie. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the fast. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbour was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on. Hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbour in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force, called the Northeaster, swept down from the island, and the ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed the lee of a small island called Corda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Fearing that they would run aground on the sandbars of Saitis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the Lord, whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me and said do not be afraid paul you must stand trial before caesar and god has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you so keep up your courage men for i have faith in god that it will happen just as he told me nevertheless we must run aground on some island on the 14th night We were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when almost midnight the sailors sensed that they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers unless these men stay with the ship you cannot be saved so the soldiers cut the ropes and let the lifeboat and held that held the lifeboat and let it fall away just before dawn Paul urged them all to eat For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything? Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain from the, uh, into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognise the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea, and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to the land, and the rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land in safety.
0: Let's pray. Father God, as we uh, approach these verses, we pray for your spirit's guidance, Lord. We pray that you would help us to have eyes to see, ears to hear what you have for us this morning. Help us to be changed by your word as we hear what you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sure we're all very familiar with the story of Job Job had a very hard time. His oxen and donkeys were taken by raiders and then some of his servants were killed. Fire came down from heaven and killed some of his sheep and and more of his servants. Then his camels were taken by raiders and then the house that his sons and daughters were parting in, the roof fell down on them and they were all killed. Later, Job's whole body was covered in painful sores. And as he sat there in agony, well, his so-called friends continued to make accusations against him. Their message was simple. Job, you must have done something wrong to deserve all of this suffering. Another story that I'm sure we're all familiar with, the story of Jonah. God commanded Jonah to go and give a message of God's judgment to the Ninevites. But because Jonah didn't want to go, he hopped on a ship heading in exactly the opposite direction. And so God sent a great storm that struck that ship so powerfully that all those on board started wondering, who was it that was to blame for this storm? And as we know, they cast lots, a lot fell on Jonah. And once Jonah was thrown overboard, the sea became calm. There are questions that we all ask when things we're experiencing are very difficult. When someone we love is seriously ill or passes away. Or when we find ourselves in a situation that feels impossible for us to get out of. We ask ourselves, why is this happening to me? What is God's purpose in these circumstances that I'm going through? Is someone to blame? Or am I to blame? Because it feels like, and lest there is someone to blame when we are going through hard things, our suffering is meaningless. And if our suffering is meaningless, then it's all the more harder to bear. That's why the crew on the ship Jonah was on were looking for someone to blame. And that's why Job's so-called friends were trying to find fault in him. But what about when there's no one to blame? What about those times When the one who is suffering is walking with the Lord and following their plan for His God's plan for their life, surely they don't deserve to lose loved ones, or to face serious illness, or to experience serious financial hardship, or any other kind of serious suffering. This morning's passage turns that kind of thinking on its head and shows us that even if we are living lives that are walking with the Lord, it won't necessarily mean that we'll be excluded from suffering. But what it does mean is that no matter what kind of suffering or hard times we go through in this life, God will use our suffering as a witness To the salvation and hope that can only be found in God's Son. What that means, of course, is that no suffering that those who trust in Jesus go through is meaningless. It all has an eternal purpose in God's economy. By the time uh, this morning's passage begins, Paul has already experienced a lot of suffering in his life and he has done so for the sake of Jesus' name. He has been beaten, stoned, whipped and imprisoned because of his faith in the resurrection and that Jesus is God's Christ. But now as Paul has been taken to Rome to stand before Caesar, one could be excused for thinking that life would be smooth sailing from for Paul from here on in. After all, Jesus had met with Paul and told him that he would surely testify in Rome back in t- chapter 23, verse 11. And so if Paul was being guided by God's sovereign purposes, if he was following God's will and plan for his life, surely everything would be smooth sailing from here. And something I need to point out in these verses that's easy to miss is that there's a lot of mentions of the word we in these verses. And that's because Luke is right there alongside Paul. Luke is experiencing everything that he is writing about. He is on that ship there with Paul. From from the very early part of this journey, Julius, the Roman centurion, showed great kindness and respect to Paul. This was possibly because he was a fellow Roman citizen or it could have been because Paul hadn't been found guilty of anything worthy of death or imprisonment. But for whatever reason, he was showing a great deal of respect and care for Paul. So much that he allowed Paul to go and meet with some friends in Macedonia, no doubt believers. We have no record of how Believers came to become uh, to come to the Lord in Macedonia. This is another insight that Luke's giving us into how the Gospel is spreading as far and wide as it goes out to the ends of the earth. These believers in Macedonia provided Paul with the food and necessary supplies that he needed for his journey. Uh, I am sure he was accompanied by a Roman soldier, but this was a A great kindness shown to Paul. From Macedonia they sailed to Lycia, where the Roman centurion put them on a cargo ship heading for Italy. But as they continued on their journey, the winds were against them. In verse nine it says the voyage had become dangerous because the fast was already over. The fast that these verses referring to was the Day of Atonement, which always always fell in late September or early October, a bit like our Labor Day long weekend. And for ancient travel in the Mediterranean, mid-September to early November was considered an extremely dangerous time of the year to be travelling on the open sea. So dangerous that by November all the way through to February at the very earliest, all travel on the open sea was out of the question. Ancient ships weren't designed to sail toward the wind, which made travelling when the wind was against you very difficult and very slow. And because... These travellers had lost so much time. This trip was only becoming more and more dangerous with every new day. So Paul gave this warning to the centurion and to the men. Men, I see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and the cargo and to our own lives also. Now, we know that Paul was a man sent by God. We know that there's many times when he heard directly from God. But I don't think this was divine revelation. I think this was the wise counsel of a man who had experienced a great deal of travel in his life. Paul's missionary journeys were incredibly extensive. His travels during those missionary journeys took him almost 23,000 kilometres on foot or by sea. Uncovering all of this distance and experiencing so many sea voyages himself, Paul was now imparting his own wise counsel to these seamen. But despite Paul's warning, the centurion decided to listen to the professionals, to the captain and the owner of the ship, which turned out to be a very big mistake. These professional sailors would have known that what Paul was saying was absolutely true. This was going to be a very dangerous journey. But despite the dangers, they still really wanted to dock their ship in a port or a bay that was safer during for those winter storms. And so they sailed on, hoping to reach a bay called Phoenix that would provide better protection for the ship. They got a gentle breeze, a gentle southerly breeze, which seemed to confirm what they were hoping. And so they set off, despite Paul's warnings about the danger. We're told it wasn't very long before this gentle breeze Turned into a storm of hurricane force, the storm was so powerful that they had to lower the sails and allow the the winds and the waves to drive the ship so that it to stop it from being ripped apart. They dragged the lifeboat on board so that it didn't damage the stern or be damaged itself, and the sailors desperately tied ropes around the hull just to hold the ship together. During that storm, the storm continued to rage throughout the night. And the next morning, the crew felt that it was so serious, they threw all of the cargo overboard. By the third day, they even threw the ship's tackle overboard. The ship's tackle includes the the rigging, the ropes, and all of the pulleys that they needed to lower and raise the sails. Their situation was so desperate that Luke says in verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Almost everyone on board the ship had lost hope of ever seeing dry land again. Everyone that is, except for Paul. Through the seriousness of their situation and their utter helplessness, God was providing Paul with an opportunity to display his hope and his confidence in the Lord. First, he he did something very practical. He encouraged them to eat and, and regain their strength. And then he shared what the Lord had told him during the night. That night, The Lord had told him that he would still stand before trial, before Caesar, no matter what, no matter how serious this storm got. That the Lord was going to graciously save the lives of everyone else on the ship, all 276 of them. But despite Paul's words, it doesn't seem like everyone on the ship believed him straight away. By this time, the storm had been raging for two weeks. They were still being driven along by the storm. They weren't really in control of the ship. And the sailors were afraid that at any point, the ship might crash into rocks along the coast and sink. Because of these fears, and the fact that they didn't yet believe Paul, some of the sailors tried to sneak off the ship And onto the lifeboat, pretending to lower some anchors. But somehow, before they were able to do it, we aren't told how, Paul warned the centurion that unless everyone on the ship stayed, everyone stayed on the ship, they could not be saved. This time, the centurion believed Paul's words. He commanded his soldiers to go and cut the rope to the lifeboat and watch it float away. Again, Paul urged everyone to eat to strengthen themselves. And once everyone had eaten, eaten, they threw the rest of the food overboard. Now you don't throw the rest of your supplies, all you have to eat, overboard unless you fully understand how serious your situation is. They'd already thrown all of the cargo overboard. They'd thrown most of the ship's tackle, what they needed to raise and lower the the sails. And now they're throwing the remaining supplies overboard. This was now a matter of life and death. And after what I imagine must have felt like the longest night of their lives, the next morning they woke up to see land not far off. They didn't recognize this this land, but this was their chance. They cut the anchors, raised the foresail. They must have had enough rigging to still do that and tried to run the ship aground on the beach. But sadly for them, it ran aground on a bar before they could make it all the way to the beach. So the soldiers, well, they decided they were going to kill some of the prisoners to stop them from escaping, something that was quite common for Roman soldiers to do. If any prisoner was to escape, that Roman soldier would be held accountable for whatever crime that prisoner had committed. But before this, any of these soldiers were able to kill the prisoners, the Roman centurion began to order everyone who could swim to swim to the beach and those who couldn't, to grab boards from the ship and float in. This was the second time Paul's life had been saved by a Roman centurion. Today's passage makes it clear that even if we are followers of Jesus, even if we are walking with the Lord, there's still no guarantee that everything is going to be smooth sailing. Unlike Jonah, Paul wasn't running from God or trying to avoid doing what God had called him to do. Jonah wasn't walking in God's ways. Jonah hated the idea that his loving God might forgive the Ninevites if they repented. Jonah was walking his own way. And so we would like to think that Jonah only got what he deserved. While Paul, on the other hand, he loved God's forgiveness and rejoiced in sharing it and seeing people receive the good news of salvation through Jesus. And yet, despite Paul's commitment to walking in God's way, to suffering for his name's sake, Paul's life was a life of suffering for Jesus. Paul says, this is his own words in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 25, his own testimony of his sufferings. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without, often gone without food. I have been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. If anyone ever had the right to ask the question, why is this suffering happening to me, it was Paul. What we see through Paul's suffering is God's sovereign hand at work. It was only because Paul was on that ship that any of those men were saved. Not even these experienced sailors were able to control that ship in the midst of that incredibly powerful storm. The authority of this Roman centurion was rendered helpless out on the sea. But as everyone else realized their helplessness, and faced their own mortality in that storm. Paul's unwavering confidence in the Lord stood as a shining beacon of hope amongst the chaos. You see, the question, why is this suffering happening to me, is the wrong question. Rather, when we face significant suffering in this life, We should ask ourselves, what is God teaching me in this situation? Or how can I use my circumstances to share my love and hope in Jesus? Suffering is never meaningless for those who trust in Jesus. Because God always uses our hard times to grow us in him, to strengthen us in him, and sometimes to bring us back to him. And more often than not, as we suffer through those circumstances, not suffering as the world suffers without hope, but suffering as those with certain hope in Christ Jesus, the certainty of our hope stands as a shining beacon, just like Paul, to those around us, providing us with opportunities to share the hope we have in ways that we otherwise wouldn't experience. Let's pray. Father God, we know that each one of us will at times experience Mourning, loss, and suffering of all sorts of kind, all sorts of ways. Lord, we pray that you would help us to make the most of those times when we suffer. Help us not to be among those who give into despair, but who remember that our hope is greater than whatever we are going through, whatever. Feelings of depression or anxiety or concern we may face. Help us not lose sight of the certain hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you might allow the certainty of our hope to shine as a beacon to all those around us so that we might be salt and light no matter what we are going through, what we are facing, whether good, bad, Or whatever else. We pray that our lives might shine the hope we have in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.